There's something about this stage when you get up here. Some nervous energy just comes a little bit. And I just was watching some of them, man. And, and I, I just wish you could, thank you, Jeff. I just wish you could see, uh, their faces sometimes when they're upstairs and just the joy that they bring. And it's amazing. And some of the kids, like, they'll be up, they'll be praising. And then up here, they were just like, I'm not doing that. I refuse. You can't make me. Anyway, but uh, hopefully that was a blessing for you like it was for me. And what an amazing way to start off this service. And uh, it was truly a, a blessing to me. Uh, if you are um, uh, ready, we're going to go ahead and get into this message. So if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles, we're going to be uh, preaching out of the book of First Samuel chapter 13. Um, and when I say this statement, as you're going ahead and turn in First Samuel 13, uh, I realize that I am very biased. Uh, but there's nothing to me quite like watching a child uh, worship. Uh, and I actually had a, uh, I, I shared with him the other day, Wednesday night, I was all over the place. If you see me on a Wednesday, I'm back and forth, back and forth. Uh, but I walked into one of the rooms and Reckless Love is what they were singing. And I just walk in the room and, and just see them and how they're worshiping. And honestly, it brought tears to my eyes because I was just filled with just uttermost joy. And it was absolutely amazing. And I shared that with them of saying, you know, I walk in and I see that joy and obviously that worship isn't for me. They're not even singing to me. They had no idea I was in there and it brought joy. And, and so what I kind of challenge them with is just think about how this must make God feel. Is that they're worshiping Him and, and, and the way they were doing it just brought joy. And then we're able to come and we're able to start off the service with baptism. I think we had nine children uh, come to know the Lord and, and follow in obedience to the baptism. Yes. And so... Um, Hopefully that brought you joy, and I realized, yes, I'm preaching and, and preachers not. So hopefully that was enough joy just to keep it going for the rest of the time. But I am excited to be up here, and preacher, thank you for sharing your pulpit with me. Uh, God gave me a word that I wanted to be able to share with y'all and share with our, our children this morning. And uh, so we're going to do, I'm going to read out of 1 Samuel 13. I know you've kind of been sitting a while. We'll read through this, we'll pray, and then we'll sit down and we'll kind of uncover what God showed me today. So um, everybody ready? Strapped in, ready to go. All right, so we're going to start right in verse number five. First Samuel 13, chapter five, verse five. And it says, And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. It says, And they came up and they pitched in Michmash eastward from Beth Haven. When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed, then the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal. And all the people followed him what? Trembling. It says, and he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of the offering, the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him. And Samuel said, what hast thou done? And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me and that thou camest not within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. Therefore said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to, the, uh, to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. 
Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever, but now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord uh, sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, God, we just come to you today. God, just uh, asking that you would speak to us. God, I just praise you for what a great service that it's already been. God, so many children coming, several people coming to know you, Lord, and, and falling in in obedience to baptism. And so, God, we just praise you for that opportunity of salvation. God, I praise you for the opportunity just to worship you, God, freely. God, to just be able to come before you and praise you for how great and wonderful you are. And God, I'm praying right now as that we go through this, God, that you would give me the words to say. God, show it to me or show it to them like you showed it to me. God, just help us to uncover some big truths that you want us to know today. And God, again, we're so thankful that we're able to gather together to hear from you, to hear from your word. So God, help us today. We love you so, so much. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, you go ahead and have a seat. Um, so if uh, so, just to kind of help you out with how we do this with the kids stuff is usually we have like this big question that we uh, we, we challenge the kids with for the entire month. We give them a one big idea to kind of focus on. So I was going to give you a big idea today. So if you have an outline at the top of your outline, just go ahead and look at it. And it says our big idea is this. Your intentions, as good as you think they are, are irrelevant if you're not being obedient to the Lord. I'm going to read that one more time. Your intentions, as good as you think they are, are irrelevant if you are not being obedient to the Lord. And so as I was reading the scripture, this is what God was showing me with Saul, because we're going to follow Saul today. He's our main character. We're going to follow him through the entire story. But I was reading this and I was just watching Saul and kind of how he acted and the way that he did things. And, and honestly, if I'm looking at it, I've been in the same situation, not a king, obviously, but making, situ- making decisions based on what I think is good. And I think we would all say that we've done something wrong before, but we think we had good intentions, so we, it kind of made it okay. But here's the problem with that. Our intentions, the big problem is it's ours. The big problem in this whole equation is us. We as people are flawed. Would you all agree to that? We're flawed. We're sinful people. So if, if, if we're trying to justify what we're doing based on our intentions, we're already at a loss there because we're making decisions based on us being flawed. And so we look at Saul here and we can see that he had great intentions, or so it seems, but he, he made a horrible decision. And so his intentions on why he did what he did was irrelevant because he was not being obedient to the Lord. And as I was studying this and as we were coming over, there was this quote that popped up from Albert Camus and it says, the evil that is in the world always comes of ignorance and good intentions may do as much harm as malevolence if they lack understanding. And I think that's where Saul was in this. He had a huge lack of understanding. He was a king. He was set up. He, he was, you think out of anybody that would make the right decisions, it would be him. And he didn't. He acted poorly. So we're going to follow, like I said, we're going to follow the story of Saul today. We're going to be able to get through this pretty quickly. Uh, I've got some three main points and it's alliterated. We try to make it as close to preachers as I could for you so you can follow along. But, uh, the first thing that I want you to see is his desperate situation. We see his desperate situation. And if we're painting this picture and we're trying to understand what's happening, you know that there's always been basically this battle between the Israelites and the Philistines, and it's still happening today. They're always battling against one another. They're always fighting, and that's what's happening right now. Saul is the king, 
And this isn't anything that God wanted. The people requested a king, so God gave it to him. God even set it up and said, look, if you have a king, it's not going to be what you think it is. It's going to be bad. But they said, we don't care. Everyone else has a king. Why couldn't we have a king? So he gives, he gives him a king. So we have Saul here, and he's in a desperate situation. And if we look at it and we really start to imagine what it is in verse 5, you can see. It says, the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel. It says they have 30,000 chariots. Kids say that. 30,000 chariots. Oh, I still have them. 30,000 chariots. What else do they have? 6,000 horsemen, right? And people as the sand which is on the seashore. Not only is there this huge crowd, this huge army that, that is being built up by the Philistines, but they're moving in closer. It says they've moved and pitched up in Michmash, which is about 20 miles away from where Saul's at. So everything is getting built up. And this is the thing, when you're moving something that vast and that huge, you don't do it quietly. You don't move an army like that that quietly. That, there are people talking. So you imagine there's people in Saul's ear. Did you hear about the army? The army's coming. It's getting bigger and it's getting bigger and it's getting bigger. And now Saul is in this position of leadership where he has to make a decision. Okay, well, okay, so what are we going to do? So we see that there is an aggression of the enemy. He is outnumbered. He is outnumbered. It is so big. It is so vast and it's getting bigger. And the more that people talk about it, because you know people aren't coming up to him and saying, you know, Saul, there's this army, but man, it's, it's going to be okay. We got this. No, you know, they're petrified. They're terrified. Saul, did you hear? This huge army's coming. Everybody's saying it's enormous. No, sorry, making me tense even talking about it like that. But you have this aggression and they're outnumbered. So then what we see is not only is this army getting built up, but then we watch the people around Saul and their response to it. So we're going to see the actions of the people and we can see that in verse 6. It says, when the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, basically that means distress. It says they were distressed. What did the people do? Some went this way and they hid in caves. Some went and hid in the thickets. Some in the rocks, some in high places, some even in the pits. And then there were some that just said, we're not doing any of that. We're going to go over the Jordan and we're going to go to a completely different place. And so all these people, they were, they were hiding, they were deserting. But then it says, as for Saul, he was still in Gilgal. And the people followed him trembling. So what's the response of the people all around Saul? The people that are supposed to support him, help him, they're all fleeing. They're all running. So it's getting more and more and more desperate as the minutes go on. The situation's getting worse and worse. The army's big. What am I going to do? My people are leaving. And I want to do just a quick timeout from our, from our message because this is what really showed me as I was reading this. I'm just thinking about the things in my life and, and the situations that happen. Things that were so little, so small, that in my mind they just began to build up more and more and more. And I would ask you the same thing. How many things in your own life just continue to build up to this point of where you feel outnumbered, where you're sitting back feeling, what am I going to do? I'm hopeless. I am helpless. What, what am I to do? <laughs> and then I've also been in the same situation where I was like the people and I've even helped people counsel people where it's like, look, Josh, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I think the best thing is if I just leave, if I just get away from it, I'm not going to handle it. I can't deal with this situation. I'm just going to leave. I'm going to hide. Or other people that says, look, I just got to do something that can take my mind off of it. And then we turn to other things, substance abuse, those kind of things. 
Because we don't want to face a desperate situation. Because it makes us realize that maybe it is hopeless. And I think that's where Saul was at as he's looking around and something so vast, so big, so huge, so he just couldn't deal with it. Everybody's deserting him. And like I said, this really got me thinking about the, the, the situation we are in the world. There's, there's a, common, a common thing that's shared more, I think, now than ever. And, and what really started breaking my heart is when I heard it started affecting kids more than anything, and that's anxiety and depression. Everywhere we, hear, everywhere we turn, we hear somebody's facing anxiety, depression. Everywhere. I don't, I don't know the last day that I walked somewhere that somebody wasn't dealing with a stressful situation. Kids, how many of you have ever dealt with something that was horrible and bad, made you cry, made you feel really bad, really horrible, didn't know what you were going to do? I actually spoke with a girl this morning, right before I walked in, dealing with a super stressful situation that made me about brought me to tears. There's things every day that are affecting us, not just children, but adults, and depression and anxiety. It says uh, people are faced with situation struggles to stress every day. 40 million adults struggle with anxiety disorders. Depression is the leading cause of disability worldwide. And listen to this one. This one really got me. Anxiety disorders affect 25.1% of children between ages 13 and 18. A quarter of children, 13 to 18, deal with some type of anxiety disorder. PTSD affects more than 7.7 million people. We have situations, we have struggles, we have no help. Things get built up into this desperate situation where we don't know how to handle it. And so what I want you to see is I want us to be able to learn from Saul's example today of basically what not to do because he has a desperate situation. And then on top of it, on top of both that, everyone's leaving him, the army's being built up. He was told that he was supposed to wait to be able to offer a sacrifice on this exact day. In verse number eight, it says, and he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed, but Samuel came not till Gilgal. So on top of everything, he's sitting here and he's waiting and he's waiting and he's waiting because two years earlier, Samuel had came to Saul and said, we are going to meet at this time. This is what we're going to do. We're going to offer our sacrifices, the burnt offerings, the peace offerings, and we're going to do it here. So Saul is sitting and he's waiting and he sees his army getting bigger. And Saul knows that if he doesn't act right now, he could face something worse. He could have no army, no troops. Those with him were already trembling. So he has to do something now. And on top of it, even the prophet, the priest is not there to be able to help him. And it really made me sit back and think, well, Samuel's the one that made this appointment. Why would he have not have been there? I mean, was it maybe because he already knew that, that, that Saul would be stepping out, King David would be stepping in? I mean, we all know that. We've read our Bible and we know that David would be taking over and that's the lineage, lineage to Jesus. So we know that David's going to be there. But it couldn't be that. Samuel's not going to gain a thing if Saul fails. So why is he waiting? And man, God showed it to me big time. This was God's way of, of helping Saul to have faith and patience and what he was supposed to do. He was testing his patience to see what kind of leader he would be able to be. So he was testing him. And Saul fell miserably. Saul fell miserably. And it kind of led me to think, in our desperate situations, what are we going to do? Are we going to be like Saul? Are we going to be able to learn from that? So what, what did Saul do? What did Saul do? In verse number 9, it says, And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and peace offerings, and the burnt offering. And he did it. And this is the part where I was reading that I was like, wait, but his intentions were good, weren't they? Because before he went to battle, 
He's making an offering, right? That's got to count for something. And that's immediately where I realized that's my intentions. That's the flawed part of me. It's because I said, wait, wait, wait. He, he made an offering. So that, that's got to be good enough. And like I said, our intentions are irrelevant if we're not being obedient to the Lord. Because the Lord had told him, you must wait. He was commanded to wait. So not only do we have his desperate situation, but because of everything and him not being able to handle it, it led to his disobedient sin. And he impatiently acted. He took charge. Now there's got to be something sad about taking an initiative and getting things done. And that's me. I'm a fixer. So like I'm looking at Saul, I'm like, I would probably do the same thing. I would jump up and I would try to do this. I would try to take care because I see an army coming. I want to jump up. I want to act. I don't want it to be worse than what it is. So I'm going to act too. But the problem is, is God wants us to rely on him. God doesn't want us to to rely on our own efforts. That's what takes the glory away from God. He wants to do something big in our lives. And when we act, when we are impatient, we take that away from God being able to do something big and great and wonderful in us. And that's what he did as he impatiently acted. In verse 9, it says, he was commanded to wait. And this is what's awesome. And this is why I say that I know that God was testing his faith and patience. Because when did Samuel come? Do y'all remember when we read? When did Samuel come? Right after he offered it. So verse 10, it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. He offers it. And then Samuel shows up like, hey, I'm here. What's up? But it's not quite that way. Because you got to imagine what Samuel's thinking too. Because again, the offering isn't something you're hiding either. It's a burnt offering. So as Samuel's approaching this camp and where they're at, Samuel's going to see that there's an offering already happening. He can see the smoke in the air. He knows something's happening. So Samuel approaches and he walks up. But this is, oh man, this was so good. It says, behold, Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him. And this right here showed me that Saul's arrogance and his pride got in the way because he offered this burnt offering. Samuel's coming and Saul walks up like, oh, Samuel's about to just tell me what a great job I've done. He said he walked up as if he would salute him. Like, good job, Saul. And again, you would think, well, he, he offered something. He, 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 was, he was kind of worshiping. But let's see what Samuel said. Verse 11. Samuel said, what hast thou done? What have you done? And I think at times in my life when I've acted (laughs) and I've done something and usually it's probably irrational, even though in my head it was logical and it was the most thing. Like I said, I'm a fixer. So if something's coming, I'll, I'll try to do everything I can to fix it. And usually the thing that gets me frustrated the most and just gets me right on the edge is, why did you do that? What do you mean? Why did I do that? Well, that's why. And I get super defensive, right? Anybody ever been there before? (laughs) No, never. But that's where I've been. And I know when I've questioned other people. Why did you do it that way? What do you mean, why did I do it that way? And that's exactly what happens in our story today. Samuel comes to him and says, what have you done? Now look at Saul's approach to this. Look at Saul's approach to this. And Saul said, well, because I saw the people were scattered from me. So everybody was leaving. What do you mean? What have I done? I offered the offering. Everybody started to leave. But not only that, thou camest not within the days appointed. You didn't even show up like you were supposed to, Samuel. 
What do you mean, why did I do what I did? You weren't even here. The people were leaving. And the Philistines were gathering themselves together. The army was getting bigger. I had to. Therefore said I, the Philistines will now come down to me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. I knew that, that, that they would be coming. And I needed to do the sacrifice thing, so because that's what we do, right? Everything, everything was, what do you mean, why did I do that? He ignored accountability. Samuel came right to him and said, what have you done? And instead of Saul saying, I really just felt like we needed to worship the Lord before we did anything. He didn't say that. He said, well, this is my reason and this is my reason. And and it's partly your fault. And it's also the Philistines fault. I didn't do anything. I did what I was supposed. I did what I felt was good. But again, his intentions were irrelevant because he wasn't being obedient. And that's how Samuel addresses it here. He ignored accountability. He made excuses. It was everyone else's fault. And then see, he ignorantly assumed. He ignorantly assumed. He said, I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. But right before that, he said, I had to make a supplication unto the Lord. So one of the things that you need to realize about kind of how this works is it was not Saul's position. He had no authority to be able to offer this offering. That was set up for the man of God, the priest that God had put in place, which was Samuel. So the problem here is, is Saul assumed that because of his leadership, because of who he was, he had the authority to be able to do that. And that's the moment where Saul really went wrong. He came before Samuel thinking he was going to be praised. And he thought that he was in a position of authority to be able to to do this, to partake in this ritual. And it was not his to do. And notice how he used the word felt there. Saul felt like it was his to do. And too many times that's how we are as people. We like to say, well, I feel like God would be okay because of this. Or I feel like God knows my heart, so I feel like it's okay. Or I I, I feel, and that's the problem. God isn't really worried about your emotions and how you feel when it comes to being disobedient. And the other thing is, is, is the other thing that really just gets me is how we, we just mess up this relationship with God. The phrase that gets under my skin more than anything is God and I have an understanding. No, you don't. No, you don't. God does not make a compromise with anybody about anything. And the reason I think it gets me so much is because, yes, you may be special, but you're not that special. That God would come to you and say, you know what? I feel you there and I'm going to help you out. God doesn't make a compromise. And if you want to challenge me on that, then what was the point of Jesus? And that's why it gets me so much is because to me, that's a spit in Jesus face to say, well, me and God have an understanding. He made a compromise. I appreciate you dying on the cross for my sin. But me and God, we have an understanding. But thank you for trying, Jesus. God does not make compromises. You and God do not have an understanding. This is the understanding. God is our Father. He is holy. We are to serve Him. We are to be obedient to His Word. That's it. And, and don't get me wrong. Like I preach to the kids like Jesus is our best friend. And he should be in the sense of a best friend that cares for you and loves you and is there for you. 
But I also have three girls and I see sometimes how they treat their best friends and their best friends treat them. And then they'll come in like, well, today this is how we're doing it. And I think we do that with God. Like today, this is how I'm going to treat you. Today, this is how we're going to work. Like, ah, today, God, I'm not going to go to church. You know, I don't have to go to church to be a good Christian. God doesn't make compromises. Well, like God, God understands, like I'm just in a tough place. Like this is the best thing for me. And I think that God understands. No, God is clear in his expectations of obedience for us. He does not compromise. And that's where Saul was. He was incorrectly, ignorantly assuming. And even Samuel set that up for him in verse number 13. And he says, Samuel said to Saul, thou hast done foolishly. Regardless of what you think, Saul, you were foolish. And that word foolish, you can basically say lack of spirituality. He did not go to God for anything. But Josh, he worshiped. He he gave offering and sacrifice. That's not what I see that as. I see that as I check something off. Or maybe even he was using God to be able to hope that he was victorious. And we can even think back to another situation. We can go to where God's people were going to battle. And what they did is they were like, well, what are we going to do? Are we going to win? Well, how about the Ark of the Covenant? We can take that with us to battle. And then that would mean God was with us. So we're going to be victorious. And then what happened? They were defeated. And then the Ark of the Covenant was stolen. So no, he didn't go to God. And that was the problem. He was worried about himself and how he would pursue his agenda. He did not go to God. And then I I think that's what God's calling us to do is in our desperate situations. Wait. Don't act impatiently. You have to wait. Don't ignorantly assume you can do it on your own because you can't. And if you do, the possibility of failure is exponential. So we see his desperate situation. We see his disobedient sin. But then finally, Saul, uh, Samuel lays out for us his devastating sentence. His devastating sentence. Samuel comes to him and says, you've done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. So what was that sentence? The first thing, a destitution was revealed. Now, if you don't know what the word destitution means, that's basically like poverty, insufficient resources. So what was he, what was he lacking? Spirituality. He was lacking walking in the spirit with the Lord. He did not even seek the Lord. He didn't even go to him. He didn't say, God, please just help me with the situation. What do I need to do? He said, this is what I got to do. And this is what I'm going to do. Samuel told him he was foolish. He was lacking the God part of this. But not only that, Samuel comes to him and his disobedience was rebuked. He says, you have not kept the commandments. You have not kept the commandments. And what I want you to understand today is that your religious activity, you're coming to church, you're worshiping in the sanctuary. It's all good and it's all great and it's all wonderful and it's what we should do. But your religious activity without a right heart, no matter how sincere you are about it, accomplishes nothing with the Lord. If you come here into service and you haven't asked God to speak to you and help you today, you're using this as a little crutch as maybe you showing up today. God would just help you a little bit more just because you showed up or well, I stood up during worship. 
It's an activity. But where is your heart? Are you coming to the Lord with a big heart and just saying, God, I want to praise you today because of what you've done. God, I'm showing up today because I want to do something great for you. And yes, I'm God, I'm asking you to do something great for me because I can't do it on my own. And if we're not coming to God with the right heart, just like uh, Saul, then it's going to be for nothing. The Lord is checking our heart. He wants to see. Samuel, actually, a couple chapters over, he kind of talks about this. 1 Samuel 15, 22, it says, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? He does delight in offerings, the sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. God wants our obedience. God wants our obedience. Now, what was the result of all of this? See, his dynasty was removed. So Saul came in with this desperate situation. He didn't know how he was going to be able to handle it. Everything around him was crumbling. Everything around him was falling to pieces. He didn't know how he would take care of it. He took action. He took initiative to do something. But he was disobedient in the way that he did it. Took everything away. See, in verse number 14, it says, uh, right before that, I'm sorry. uh, Thou hast not kept the command of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. He said, if you had only listened to the Lord, your kingdom would have been established forever. The blessings and everything that comes along with a kingdom you were going to have. But you were disobedient to what God had asked you to do. And because you were disobedient, your kingdom is now going to be taken away. Verse 14, but now thy kingdom shall not continue The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord had commanded him to be captain over his people. Because of Saul's action. Because of him not seeking the Lord. Everything he had been given was taken away from him. The kingdom shall not continue. It says Saul's lack of spirituality causes his disobedience. Which resulted in him losing the dynasty that God had set before him. And it just makes me wonder how many things have been taken away from me because I acted. Like I said, I'm a fixer. I try to get things done quick. I don't like things to just dwell up and get bigger and bigger, but nothing says they will. But how many things have been taken away from me in my own lives, uh, blessings, opportunities, because I acted instead of going to the Lord and saying, God, help me. How many things may have been taken away out of your own life? Opportunities, blessings. Other people get that promotion instead of you. You being able to have that next best thing being taken away because you didn't seek the Lord in anything that you did. Because that's what happened to Saul. Saul acted on his own. And his dynasty, everything was taken away from him. But not only that, the other thing that the Lord showed me, and this was actually last night, I was going over it again. I, I may have been stressing a little bit, just a little bit. You know, VBS, the whole thing going on. I'm running around. But I'm, I'm reading it again. I'm like, God, just show me something. And this is what He showed me. The dynasty being removed did not just affect Saul. Saul had a son, Jonathan. Jonathan would have a son. And his son would have a son. And so Saul's actions did not just affect him. It affected other people. And we forget that a lot of times. We just act and we do and we got to worry about us because that's what the world tells us. Just worry about yourself. Take care of yourself. But the problem is that sometimes when we act, 
We take away blessings and opportunities from other people because of our actions. Because of our actions. And that's what happened with Saul. He didn't seek the Lord. He missed out on blessings and opportunity. We've got to remember to stay obedient to what the Lord requires of us. And one final thing is I'm, I'm going to kind of wrap up. And, and the next part that I'm going to go, you could preach an entire series on it. Um, but I also got to thinking, like, why, why was it so rash? Like, why did that kingdom just get taken away from him? So, like, it seemed like so abrupt. Like, you did one offering, and it was kind of, like, it was almost good, right? It was almost good. It was offerings and sacrifices. But God said, your kingdom is taken away from you. And it reminded me of, a, of st- actually, several stories where God and, and people's disobedience, God allowed them to make it right. And I was even thinking about uh, uh, the story of Joshua. And I would, I would challenge you to go back and read it. Uh, Joshua had just got done defeating Jericho. He followed God to the T. And if you're talking about somebody doing something absurd and insane and, and reaping the benefits and the rewards, the, the walls of Jericho coming down is an amazing story. But he just defeats Jericho. And then right after that, he's going to battle Ai. And he goes to Ai. And he goes up to battle right after this huge victorious win, and he's defeated. He's defeated. And he turns to God, and he actually falls down on his face, and he's like, why have you brought me here? Why are we just going to die? God tells him to get up, and he basically says, look, there's people in the camp that have sinned against me. He's like, you could not stand up to your enemies because of the sin, but make it right and remove that accursed thing. So basically they had stolen things when God told them to destroy everything, and they didn't. But God says, look, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make it right. But he didn't. And I was like, why is this? And it's right here in our text. And this is what it is. Verse 14. But now the kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. Joshua had a heart for the Lord still. Saul's heart for the Lord was gone. And if you get anything today, this is what I want you to get. That's what God is seeking from you. He's looking at your heart. Where is your heart in all of this? Your intentions may be good. Your intentions may be great. But if you're not being obedient to the Lord, it's irrelevant. And here's what I would tell you. Our heart needs to be in line with that of Christ. And if our heart is not in line with Christ, the actions and the things that we do are not going to be right. But, If we make sure to model our heart after that of Christ, if we're doing everything we can to be like Christ, our actions and our intentions will be in line with him. Thus, we will be obedient to what he's calling us to do. And that's what Christ is wanting. He is wanting our heart in all of this. Where is your heart? When you are making a decision, when things seem stacked up beyond all measure, the odds are against your favor. You don't know how you're going to get out of it. You don't know what to do. We need to do a checkup and say, where's my heart in this? Am I seeking the Lord? Will the Lord allow my faith to grow in this situation if I remain still? If I'm patient long enough, just allow him to do something big in my life. So where is your heart in all of this? And we know that's exactly what he did. He sought David because David had a heart after God's. He led him up to be one of the greatest kingdoms that's ever been. And if we can remember in time, in that, in that, in times of distress and tribulation, that we can act patiently and have the faith the Lord seeks of us.
One last verse I want to share with you. I'm going to read this out. James 1, 1 through 8. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, my brethren, count it all. What's that word? Say it again. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Count it joy when you're in a desperate situation. Count it joy when the odds are stacked up against you. Count it joy when it seems hopeless and you don't know what you're going to do. That seems hard. Count it joy. Why? Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that gives to all men liberally, and abradeth not. And it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. We can't be acting on our own and acting outside of the will of God and still be trying to want God to bless us and to provide opportunities. It's not going to work that way. We've got to be single-minded. We've got to go after God's heart. We've got to put our heart in line with God's. So the thing that I want you to know more than anything today is check your heart. Have a checkup. Desperate situations are going to happen in every one of our lives. Right now, I could probably say the majority of us are in some type of situation that we're dealing with. And the Lord is asking us to be obedient to what He's calling us to do, to be obedient to His way. Understanding that He is the Father, He is holy, and He knows all things. So if we'll pause for a minute and seek Him and His wisdom, allow our faith to grow, our patience will be worked into perfection. So this is what I'm going to do for you today. This is an opportunity for you to have a checkup. Because it did me. That's why I always love coming up here and preaching. Is because it's like God reveals all of these horrible things in my life that I need to fix. But the thing is, is that's why we have the Word. Is so that God can help us. Either, either to show us areas of our life we need to do better in. Show us areas that we didn't even know we had a struggle with. Or maybe it's just that God is encouraging you today to say, look, You identified this, and I'm just telling you, great job on working on this. But if we hear all these things, and and we've identified things in our life that we need to change, but we do nothing about it, our heart isn't after God's, right? And so what I'm going to do is this is going to be a moment of invitation for you. It's going to be a moment that where you can come forward. If there's something in your life that is holding you back from being able to have a heart like God's, Maybe there's something in your life that's just keeping you back. Maybe it's bitterness, anger. Maybe it's fear. Fear is so debilitating. But maybe it's fear in your life just causing you not to be able to move on. In just a second, I'm going to have you have the opportunity to come down to the altar. Just ask that God would help you with that. And just leave it here. And it really can be that easy of just coming up here and leaving it all on the altar and just saying, God, I'm in a desperate situation and I just want to have a heart like yours. So I'm going to leave it right here and I'm going to allow you to work in my life. I'm going to allow my heart to be like yours and I'm going to allow you to just take over everything. But then the second opportunity, maybe you can't get your heart right with the Lord because you haven't fully surrendered your heart to the Lord. 